everybody. Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And we are a... If this is your first time joining us, thank you for joining us. We generally never plan out our conversations for the show. So we sit down, hit record, and go. And we, I sort of plan them out. You don't, we don't pre-discuss them. Yeah, there you go. We don't pre-discuss them. Molly Axe generally is the producer. Um, and our, our commentary and our show discussion typically revolves around our marriage, our children, and... Um, food. Food, and theology, and culture. Not quite as much culture as some people would like, I'm sure. But um, We talked about a couple of movies and shows last week. Yes. You know, there's always um there's always like the, the integration of whatever went on in our minds and our lives in the yeah. last week. And I mean we're Christians, so we incorporate all that too into it. So thank you for joining us. And if you want to participate in the discussion offline, we have a telegram group that you can join. And I will uh post the link in the show notes. And I will also send you, if you sign up between now and the first of the year, I will send you a sticker pack. I have envelopes and stickers, and I'm preparing those right now. Not right now, but I will. Literally not right now, but we're as we speak. A show. So. Uh, speaking of sticker packs, we do not have a People Are Weird and Hard sticker. And also speaking of cultural mm, things. I haven't thought about that. It's we, you guys, if you guys, if you've been listening for a while, you know that we love Andrew Peterson, particularly me, but I've shared my love around the family as we do. So we watched his Behold the Lamb of God concert on Sunday night, this last Sunday night with a handful of... So good. It was fantastic. And some of you guys, especially the ones in the Telegram channel, know this, but Andy Gullahorn sang a song called People Are Weird that he apparently debuted at a local show, which is a show that they do locally on Tuesday or Thursday nights. I think it's during judo, which is how I know it's a Tuesday or Thursday uh. night. Regularly, pre-COVID, it used to be in a coffee shop, and now they record it without an audience in the rabbit room, whatever they're... I can't remember what they're... North Manor? I, Northwind Manor. That's what it's called. In, their, in the rabbit room's house. Uh, so, anyway, people are weird... You guys, I after this show is done, so we're not doing judo tonight because Titus woke up sick this morning. Um, after, so I'll get the show done after we're done recording. Um, and I am going to jump online right away. And not only am I going to create a People Are Weird and Hard bumper sticker immediately, but I'm also going to send Andy Gullahorn and his wife, Jill Phillips. And if you were a CCM fan from the 90s or early 2000s, you will remember Jill Phillips was a pretty major artist. Um, they're married now and have uh, like a grown kids. Daughter. They had a grown yeah. daughter singing. Yeah, with them. We're all old these days. Um, anyway, I'm going to send we them t-shirts. We don't have a college I'm going to send them though. weird people are weird and hard t-shirts. If you guys happen to know Andy Gullahorn's t-shirt size, you know him or something, <laughs> let me know. ASAP. I'm guessing Jill is like a small. <laughs> She's tiny. So that's the, that's the plan. The question super, of the day. What is his super... Right. Um, uh, how was your weekend, babe? How was my weekend? Other yeah. than, I don't know. Other than the fight we had and the party we had on Sunday um, and running on little sleep. All my days sort of run together. That pretty much describes my weekend. Okay. Well, my big news of the day, year, month is that this morning I officially took a job. You did. You haven't told me this. Have you been waiting till now to tell me this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you kind of knew it was coming. Well, I know, but you you didn't yes, say anything. My you know. there's a lot of there's a lot of little things that are that are going on right now and this this really meshes well. But one of the big pieces of news on Friday is that I lost a really major ATM client. So um while it doesn't, you know, put us in the poor box or anything. Um, house, poor house. We lose, we lose a little more margin than, um, than you know, than I'd like to lose. And so, obviously, my poor dear wife over here is like super stressed out about that. Um, so, getting all that taken care of, and it just so happens there's other stuff conspiring. And I was working with a buddy of mine 
on developing uh, some NFTs for membership loyalty rewards programs for his An restaurant. NFT is? A non-fungible token. So if you were to think of Bitcoin as a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin, you have a Bitcoin, I have a Bitcoin, we can swap Bitcoins If we had a Bitcoin, day. we would be rich. It's, it's, a, you have a, <laughs> it's just a Bitcoin, okay? Bitcoin is a Bitcoin. Right, you can't touch it. Yeah, and well, and your Bitcoin is my Bitcoin. It's all just a Bitcoin. A non-fungible, so that's a fungible token. A non-fungible token is a singular item with a singular unique ID representing a singular something. So there's only one of them in existence. Um, kind of like a collector's penny versus just right. a random penny. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like a collector's, collector's penny, penny is right. worth more than a cent. Right. Now, if you can divorce the concept, this isn't, <laughs> last few weeks has been turning into a cryptocurrency podcast. If you can if you can divorce your concept of blockchain tokens from cryptocurrency, if divide that the even two. means anything to you, which it, some of you I'm out just, there will just keep talking, just okay. keep talking. Um, Bitcoin, a Bitcoin is a token that has been ascribed monetary value by party A and party B economics 101, but it's a token at its core. It represents uh, information in the blockchain. Now, that being the case, a token can represent anything in the blockchain. In this case, a token can represent uh, what everybody loves about the the, digit, the NFT collector pieces, the little 8-bit characters and CryptoPunks and things, is that you you actually have record of owning it. It's been verified. It's been, you can't, it's immutable, and there's only one of them in existence. You own that, and that smart contract says, I own that. That's what's really great about it. But that smart contract can represent anything. It can represent... Um, your car title. It could represent a birth certificate. It could represent all these things to say you actually own this or this is actually your property. So in this case, we're looking at doing that for a membership program, like a loyalty rewards program. Because then if, if the restaurant were to mint these membership tokens and then auction them or sell them, they can be resold at any time. They can be verified at any time. And then down the line, you can build in royalties. So a restaurant, because it could then every time somebody like, oh, I don't need this membership anymore. I'm, I'm moving and I, I could just sell it to somebody else. Then. Do you think people in Billings, Montana are going to go for this? Don't know and don't care. The fact is, this is the way the world is going. And I am super stoked about this program because I think it's going to change a lot. Like there's going to huh. be some cool stuff happening. So regardless it's like that 18, like on the last show, I mentioned the 18 year old kid with like a yeah. hundred grand in cryptocurrency. Like uh -huh. he's all over this stuff. He's going to okay. be the one that's going to do it. Not everybody. Okay. But, um, cause everything you're describing to me right now, I feel like I'd rather describe the Trinity to people, to kids. Oh, this is way Trinity easier is. than the Trinity, babe. Way easier than the Trinity. So anyway, <laughs> I mean, long not, story short, you guys, infinite, you guys, like we, God I, is, I'm sorry. but it is Equally I'm sorry. right now to me I, is inscrutable. I I rabbit trailed you guys. Big time. Um, what I'm trying to say is I'm helping him out with this program, and he's also opening. He owns one chain pizza place here in in Billings, and then in Laurel, uh, seven miles east west of us, he's opening in a small town. He's opening um, a small bar called Firebox Provisions. And they're going with a, an old rail yard theme from because early 19th century because it's a railroad town. And um, it's going to seat about 50 to 60 people is all. And um, it it works out really well. So I'm going to go. I'm, I, I just told him I'd go work for him. And we'll see where that goes. He's really excited. He's like, oh, I think you'll be fantastic. Like, I would love that. Because, you know, if you are in the world right now, in the food world? In the, in or the world. employment world? Employment world. It's hard to find employees at all, much less. As like at minimum, you'll get a responsible adult. <laughs> I I like all of this. I was having a, an online a text chat with a friend, and I told her that you were considering a job in that vein. And she agreed with me that you would be fantastic in the interfacing with people, especially people who are coming in to drink <laughs> either they're sharing their joys or they're sharing their sorrows and if they're alone they're sharing their sorrows with someone like yeah. you who's good at listening to them and partly doing it because you recognize your ability to reach out and connect with people and you have a hope 
that you can offer them that yes. the average bartender doesn't. But um, she, she just going back to if you're in the industry at all looking for someone reliable, she said, well, could he, could he do ski patrol full time? And I was like, honestly, he could make more at Arby's starting wages than ski patrolling. <laughs> and that's not actually an exaggeration, you guys. This is a crazy job market right now. You could <sighs> go to work starting wages in Billings or Bozeman. At a fast food restaurant. At a fast food restaurant and make more than you could with training and responsibility to possibly save someone's life. There you go. (laughs) It's super messed up right now. It's really messed up, but... Yeah. Uh, So, no, I'm kind of excited about it because I've I've always been... um, It's nice, too, because he's a big electronic music fan. And so we've talked about maybe trying to put on, like, regular electronic music nights and... There's another outfit a couple of of his buddies run. Have you heard of the Blind Bison? No. So there's these two bartenders. Oh, the ones that just do pop-up Yeah, things? they do pop-up bars. They throw these huge parties at other people's restaurants. Yeah. And okay. it, I it's feel like super I lucrative. Anyway, so he's a really good friend of those guys. And so we talked about like all the... We had lots of different ideas we're throwing around. But then when trying to test drive this NFT program... Um, and then he also wants to start taking cryptocurrency payments. And mm-hmm. so we talked through that a bunch today and uh, taking stable coins because then you don't have to deal with tax issues. But I won't bore the listeners right now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if anybody wants so to anyway, talk to me about it, just hit me up on Telegram. Let's go back to talking about the Trinity. <laughs> we actually did talk to our kids about the Trinity today a little bit in our Advent. How did you explain it to them? Because most Alphabet. people get it wrong. Well, I didn't I didn't actually explain the Trinity to them. But, it, but in our Advent alphabet, G is for God. And it was a very, I thought it was, so I use you guys, the Tiny Theologians is the brand, and it's just a really little, fam, literally family run. I think they were in charge of children's ministry at their church and didn't like what was available. So they started creating alphabets for things like the attributes of God, and this is an Advent alphabet, and they have some really artistically lovely designed uh, Lord's Prayer, books of the Bible cards. Anyway, I bought a couple sets a couple years ago. And like the Advent ones, and G, because we're a little bit behind, G is for God. And it said it that it was pointing out the amazing fact that in this tiny, vulnerable baby was all the fullness of God. And I... I had this memory of being in seminary class with Carl Truman, who was talking about early church history and all the all the controversies and debates that led to the development of the creeds that we have now. And as the early church fathers were working out the history, or that not the history, the theology of the Trinity, they had no idea what they were doing in some ways. But they kept coming back to this fundamental truth that if Christ is not God, he cannot save. And if Christ is not man, he cannot save. And I have Carl Truman, if you guys haven't heard him speak, is English. And he's from, if I recall correctly, kind of a blue collar area of England. He has a very strong accent. And I can't, I'm not even going to try to repeat it. But I have this deeply embedded in my brain if Christ is not God, he cannot save. If Christ is not man, he cannot save. And I would add, if Christ is not fully God, and if Christ is not fully man, he is not able to save us. And so what I was pointing out with the kids is the history of sacrifices in the Old Testament requires, and fortunately they've done a good job of memorizing Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is... You're supposed to answer. Oh, death. The wages of sin is death. And in the Old Testament, sin cannot be forgiven without the shedding of blood. And not just in the Old Testament, this is embedded in the psyche of mankind, which is why there are sacrifices in other religions. They're not efficacious sacrifices because they're not founded on the proper way of appeasing a holy and righteous God, but embedded in the human soul is the knowledge of God. What does Romans 1 say? 
that the righteous requirements of God are are known to us in our hearts. And I think that includes the the fact that we should die for our sins, that the wages of sin is death. And in the Old Testament, you bring a lamb, you bring a goat, you bring a bird, you bring a cow to die for your sins. And I pointed out to the kids that you do this over and over and over. And there's yearly sacrifices and there's sacrifices for particular sins because it's a one-to-one ratio. There's one death for one person's sin at one time. And I pointed them to, we actually, because we stalled out in memorizing the Westminster Shorter Catechism from last spring, I printed out and have hanging on our sliding glass door behind our table the question, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchanging in his being, wisdom, all these things that I don't know as well as I should. Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is God? One of the first few questions. And pointed out the fact that God is eternal and eternal in all of these different attributes, not eternal, infinite, infinite, all these different attributes. And so his ability to die, not just for one person's one sin, but for all the sins of the whole world. And then the whole book of Hebrews is about this, right? That this was the final culminating sacrifice because of Christ's infinite worth as a sacrifice for our sins. And so that was how I tried to explain to the kids why Christ is our Savior, needed to be fully God in order to have the sacrifice be sufficient for all of us and all of our sins. You know, you made a comment about fully God and fully man, and I was just so struck with that heresy uh, study that my Wednesday morning Bible study did, where almost without question, the majority of true heresies all revolve around whether the distinction between between Jesus's humanity and his divinity. They err on one side or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Overemphasizing yeah. well, there's a blend or there's something that's denied or something uh-huh. like that, but you break those down and you can and that's kind of the to me it's just as mysterious as the trinity itself. Or well, I mean the other the trinity is the other major heresy. Well, it it is part of the mystery of the trinity mm-hmm. because the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you can't parse them out, but Christ as the Son is fully God and fully man. And so it's it's parsing out part of the mystery of the Trinity, for sure. Okay, so how this is where where the rest of my my brain cells were used up in the last week or couple of days. How how does Gnosticism fit into the what is that overemphasizing? Or missing in the in the deity or the humanity of Christ. Do we need to pause the podcast uh, and Google yeah, I was some say, answers? You, you need to define Gnosticism for those that are not. So my understanding of Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which is knowledge, which is overemphasizing the importance of the the intellectual. So. Greek Gnostics, apart from Christian Gnostics, Greek Gnostics believed that knowledge and the life of the mind was all that mattered. And so they denied the importance of human suffering, of the human body, of life, of the physical, mm-hmm. physical anything. And that was married into a uh, Christianity in denying the importance of the physical world and only emphasizing knowledge and the spiritual, right. but especially salvation through what through, we know. Uh, a special knowledge of something. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So that would essentially be denying the importance of Christ's humanity. Do you think? Is that where it gets the... Man, it's been a couple of years it's, since I've it has been a while since you've studied that. <laughs> anyway, I I've come across 
the the actual phrase Gnosticism a couple of times in the last week. The first one I posted on our Telegram channel because it came up right after we were did our episode on Jesus duking. You I've got I've got some research up in front of me, and yes, you are correct. Gnosticism, uh, Gnosticism, Gnosticism um, considered Jesus Christ to be a holy spiritual being. So it denied Jesus's humanity because they also believe God himself is only spirit, only spirit, unknowable, hard to, you can't really interact with them a, a lot like the Islamic God, to be honest. And also kind of Buddhist denying the, mm-hmm. the, the, the physical. And, yeah. Yeah. To escape into this spiritual. So, mm-hmm. so I posted this piece on our telegram channel because we'd been talking about Jesus juking and I thought it complemented it decently. And it was this guy, let me see if I can pull it up. This guy with, it was a Tim Challey's link. Uh, Stephen Neal, K-N-E-A-L-E. His blog is called Building Jerusalem. And he essentially says that he, he says, I effectively celebrate Christmas for no other reason than it is fun and I like it. And the comment that he then springs off of for this blog post is, Amen, bro. Too many Christians living stunted emotional half-lives driven by pious fear. And he then he responds, if I enjoy it, it might be wrong. Ha ha. Scratch a good Protestant and you'll often find a Catholic underneath. But I, I resonated with a lot of what he said in this post because... I didn't realize this was such a hot debate still. Having grown up in on the on the edges of some Christian circles who thought that Halloween was horribly bad and I'm probably going to step on some toes here. You know, Halloween is horribly bad and we shouldn't even acknowledge that it exists. And then there's the sanctifying Halloween where we dress up in costumes but we actually celebrate Reformation Day and we pray we we kind of baptize it. And then there's the people who uh, are all about um, a step further than quote unquote baptizing Halloween would be there's a there's a video that I love on Vimeo where he talks about the 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 history of dressing up for Halloween according to his history is that kids would dress up like ghouls and demons and ghosts to make mockery of Satan on the eve of All Saints Day, which is All Hallows' Eve, right? Sounds right. So they would dress up like that to mock Satan, like dress up like little devils, mm-hmm. not not to be celebrating Satan, but actually to mock Satan. And anyway, I was... Maybe the... Well, for sure. The... the People I follow on Instagram has expanded and evolved this year. And there were so many really pious, why I don't celebrate Halloween posts going around in my Instagram feed this year. It kind of shocked me because I haven't been exposed to that for a while. Like maybe since we dove into the homeschool community when I was in junior high and my mom was homeschooling me. I grew up with a lot of, we don't celebrate Halloween. Yeah, because it's celebrating the devil, dress up and you're mm-hmm. handing your soul over to the devil. And I feel like my parents struggled with, we we don't find this bad, but we're surrounded by these people who think we're bad, so we don't know how to what to make of this. And so I appreciated this guy's post, because he was essentially saying, it is a Gnostic impulse that says we can't just go have a good time without trying to spiritualize everything. And he he believes that we have this problem in in Christmas where people have to sanctify every aspect of Christmas uh or or we're somehow being too accommodating of culture or not accommodating of the culture. We're actually being secular in enjoying the trappings of Christmas. And he, I think, honestly, I don't know if any of you guys read this when I posted it on the Telegram channel, but I'll send it to JR to post 
in the show notes. He basically, I think he goes too far the other way. And he says his his punchline is, is look, I'm going to celebrate Christmas because I like it. You know, if it helps me think about Jesus a little bit more, that's great. But I'm just in it because I think I have a father who likes for me to have a good time. And so I'm just in it for the good time is essentially what he says. And I'm not going to try to over-spiritualize anything, which I, he, if I had to guess, I've, I don't know anything about this guy. Uh, I would guess he's kind of a Baptist sort of person without, Probably. and the reason I say that is, is there are Baptists, now I'm probably stepping on more toes, but Baptists who really appreciate and celebrate church history and the church calendar, but... I love the rhythm of the church calendar that our church does not actually celebrate nearly as much as some of the more liturgical historical churches do, where not only do you have this season of Advent, but you're always in in the historical church calendar, you're always in some sort of season. You're in the season of Advent, and then the the... 12 days of Christmas following Christmas and then you've got I don't know what because I'm an ignorant Protestant and then you move into Lent and then after Easter you have the time between the resurrection and the ascension and that's actually a season that your your church your your Bible readings and things like that your worship songs are always oriented towards some sort of church calendar that has to do with church history and seasons of God's word. And I think that when he says, nope, I just like celebrating Christmas because I enjoy it. And I think that's good enough reason. I think he's having an impoverished understanding of how rich the season of waiting in Advent that as we've had pointed out in our church and also the Behold the Lamb of God concert was so rich in pointing this out. Advent is recognizing the not yet nature of the Christian life, where yes, Christ has already come. He has already conquered death. But we, just as there was this long season of waiting for Christ to come the first time, we are in this long season of waiting and of suffering and of looking forward to all of the good things that Christ will bring with him in his second coming. And even when we see things like joy to the world, that is a second coming song. It's even more so than it is a first coming song. No more let sin and sorrows reign, nor thorns infest the ground. Look around you. It's an Easter song. It's No, it's not an Easter song. It is a second coming song. Oh, right. Sorry. Yes. It is. <laughs> I was thinking, Jesus' first coming is Christmas. His second coming is Easter. No, wait. No. His second coming hasn't <laughs> happened yet, which is why we still have. Well, yeah, it has. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, Molly Jerry stopped and stared. She's like, No, what's his name? Jerry Jenkins. Uh, Jerry Jenkins. Uh, which is no, why. No, he's waiting for empty shoes. And empty shoes hasn't happened yet. He's, he's not waiting for anything but his own good purposes. I actually read totally random side night i actually read something about um a couple of you just here recently two guys claiming or not what man what was i reading i was reading something about two guys who actually were claiming that jesus had already come and it caused a big uproar in particular i think it was a true i was reading some christian history stuff somewhere it was just random just random you know you know what the bible says to do with false prophets right burn them at the stake i think stone them so then, just this morning, Tim Challies posted a flashback to something that he had written. I don't even know if I opened it and saved it. Yes. He says, he wrote this in 2016, Jesus isn't threatened by your Christmas gifts. And I thought it was a much more balanced, look, we don't have to feel guilty about the gifts under our Christmas tree. We don't have to feel guilty about even buying really nice things and having our kids be excited about it. It's not an either or. Okay, let's I'm going to go step in something right now. Um, do you believe that Christmas 
is an originally Christian tradition, or do you believe it's a secular festival that was absconded by Christianity and given meaning to it? You know how Christians like to take things and ascribe spiritual meaning to everything? Yeah, I do. Um, I believe it's a both and. I think that, I mean, even reading the history of Roman, the Roman nation, Roman Empire, in for with our kids the the yule log was now i'm man my brain is just i'm gonna call it covid brain i had covid in september you guys i'm gonna still call it, blame all my brain fog <laughs> neither of us being a mom did you sleep well last night not great i slept terrible no but who were the I'm, I'm who were the the savage people that were to the north of rome that was one of the lands that Caesar Augustus started. No, it wasn't the Celts. That was further. Yeah, the Germans. Okay, so there's another word for the Germans. (laughs) Now they're just locking people up again like it's 1939. Yeah. Ooh, did I say that out loud? But the the Yule log came from the the tribes in the forests and something, something, something. And honestly, I don't care. That's the thing. I don't (laughs) care. I'm not going to get into these debates because I could have you guys. There's uh, we have a friend yes. and she the wife listens to our podcast. She'll probably recognize her husband in this. But we, I was having a conversation about old earth, young earth stuff. And he has studied this stuff so much. I was shocked at how knowledgeable he was about things that I didn't know you could be knowledgeable about in terms of believing that that there it is a young earth. And here we go again. Somebody is going to be like, wow, I don't think I can listen well, to Well, because look, I grew up with Ken Ham. I grew up with the Institute of Creation Research stuff. I was all over ICR. I loved it. Loved everything about it. But he made such a great argument for how you have to be, if you, you are not... You have to be a young earther. Yeah, if you're not a young earther, it tears down the foundations for the rest of Scripture. Um, and now, I... I'm kind of with you. Like I, I don't know if it's a. Sp- I don't, don't care exactly. I don't really. <laughs> and it's care. not that I don't care. I don't care about the nuances. Here's what I care about: God made the world, and somehow the way God made the world comports with how He tells us He made the world in Genesis one and two, and Adam and Eve were historical people that He made in His own image. In the way he described, and their fall was a historical fall. There was a fall. I don't know what it looked like exactly in terms of what was the fruit and what was, what did the serpent look like and how does that relate to a modern day serpent and all the things. But there are some non-negotiables that I have, but all the other stuff, I... I actually love that there are people who are passionate about these things to know all of the explanations. For example, I've probably said this before. I was blown away at the beginning of this this school year, last school year. I don't even remember. Reading one of Ken Ham's books about dinosaurs and what happened to dinosaurs and where do you find dinosaurs in the Bible and things like that. The question of dinosaurs on the ark. Because if dinosaurs were still alive at the time of the flood, and God says, I'm going to save two of every kind, that means that there were dinosaurs on the ark. But he very reasonably points out they didn't have to be mature, full blown brontosaurus, brontosauri on the ark. <laughs> They could, they could have been like the Sauruses. really immature ones that were the size of a Labrador retriever. And maybe they grew to the size of a giraffe over the course of a year. But there's no reason to think that we had to have any. Anyway, that okay. I appreciate so him pointing I do, that too. I, I really enjoy a lot. We, we, the kids have a series, uh, the Wild Brothers. Yes. They do their missionaries over in Indonesia and they do their own little 
uh, reality TV series that is published and produced by well, it's produced by them and published by ICR. Uh, ICR. And so I re- our kids really love that. It's a great show. Um, ICR, I'm gonna, the Institute for Creation, Creation Research. Research. Ken Hams. So I'm going to continue to step in it on this topic briefly. Um, <laughs> and then look, we're going to back out and make everybody day, happy and talk about food. At the end of the day, what is Ken Ham arguing against? He's arguing against evolution. Mm-hmm. And you just made a statement like, I don't care if it's young earth or old. It's a God created. It's a biblical creation. So I would probably in this stage, if somebody pinned me down, I'd, I'd argue and I'd argue at the point that, that, that Ken took it a, just a step too far. In saying, <laughs> he just, in in saying order it has to be, to be a Bible believing Christian, you can has only to be believe this. And it, a lot of that teaching centers around carbon dating. Mm-hmm. And so he's refuting carbon dating that's saying it's this old. And then looking at the timeline of scripture. So there's some interesting things in there that I'm not. And then I'm left thinking, okay, so all of scripture hinges on this one teaching. That just doesn't pass my smell test in terms of literal seven day creation on a literal seven day creation teaching. Like if Mm -hmm. all of scripture is suddenly invalidated because that one little fact isn't true. Uh, that just doesn't pass my smell test. But all of scripture is invalidated if we don't have a historical Adam and Eve and a historical Agreed. Fall. Agreed. So, anyway, that's where, or, that's or where have I... A, or have a historical Jesus. But, so, I think it... I love the fact that people going to your, your Christmas thing, that people understand the history of things. Here's another example. When we were newlyweds, there was a person in our church who offered us a packet that she had put together of research of all of the symbolism about all the things you can have in your wedding. So the veil and the runner. And we were old enough, almost 30 when we got married, that we were like, we just want to be married. We, we, don't, we don't really care about all <laughs> we, the trappings. Well, you guys, we actually tried to elope. And we asked... Uh, we asked your dad made a joke at a dinner. We were engaged or something. He's like, well, you guys, I can just give you 30 grand. You guys go off somewhere. And we both look at each other. I and think we're like, he said 10, not 30. Okay. Yeah. And he's, and he kind of looked at us for a second. And I think you were like, no, I'm serious. We'll, we'll do that. Yeah. My dad likes to throw a party too much. <laughs> he's like, there whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We totally wait called his bluff. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm his only daughter and he wanted to have a party. Uh, but, but then you read things like the veil was supposed to keep demons from seeing or getting to the bride's face. Literally, if you if believe you scratch, Nephilim are fallen angels that actually walked this earth, and that's, that's a reasonable with, argument. I, I, see, here's and slept thing. with the sons of men. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> it's a nice tradition. It's lovely. If you want to have that aesthetic in your wedding, go for it. Because you know what? It's it's the eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols to think, thing. If it violates your conscience, don't violate your conscience. If it doesn't violate your conscience, eat, drink, and be merry. And so hardcore. I, there is a lot of hardcore stuff, but I think the reason that, as I was thinking about all of this, something clicked for me. That the reason that... Uh, these articles kind of resonated for me is all about my buddy Robert Farrar Capon because check this out okay so again Andrew Peterson thing they had a conference in the fall called Hutchmoo and you could send away for a kit of very clever things that they put together to go along with this digital conference that they were doing to bring some fun and levity and tangible stuff to it because we are tangible beings and tangible things matter even in a virtual conference and so they have trading cards if you're in a bigger community of people who are part of the rabbit room then they they had like a dozen of these what okay so i got i ordered a couple of these kits thinking we would do this with a group of friends and then we didn't and i'm cleaning out my drawers and <laughs> Right, Sorry. you're laughing. I'm going to read the back of this one while I Okay, so so it's a trading card. My two trading cards... <laughs> yeah, kind of like a Pokemon I, card or something. Yeah, I didn't bring the other one down, but the other one that I got was Rich Mullins. So there's these people that they love in this community and find have influenced them. 
So this is a f- Robert Farrar Capen, so, who is the author of my favorite book, The Supper of the Lamb. The artwork is pretty fantastic. It's an illustration of him standing in front of an onion and kind of that cool outward banding look. But he's wearing because he his, has an entire chapter in this book on onions. Yeah, he's wearing his collar because he was an Anglican priest. He's wearing an apron, a cross necklace, and holding a glass of wine. And it says Robert Farrar Capen, author. Turn it over. Card five. Here we go. <clears throat> Robert Farrar Capen. Level 50. Multiclassed chef, cleric, author. Weapon. Butter. Weakness. <laughs> butter. Arch nemesis. Gnosticism. Book of Power, Supper of the Lamb. A cookbook, a book of theology, a book of humor, a book of poetry. A book that all living humans must read. Okay, which is absolutely <laughs> true. Okay, so that, so there's two... <laughs> I missed this. Fact. Cloned from G.K. Chesterton and N.T. Wright. <laughs> so, but 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 uh, reading that funny card triggered the the anti-gnostic <clears throat> thing. Like his arch nemesis is Gnosticism. This entire book is a practical theology against Gnosticism, because if you say is Christian is Christmas a Christian festival or a pagan festival? Who cares? Because every square inch of all the world was created by God. We don't have to go watch a movie and have a spiritual discussion about it to redeem it. The enjoyment, as long as it's not, again, this feels like a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I've been thinking about this with the kids recently and and filtering what we let them watch and just classic Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is excellent, whatever is admirable, whatever is praiseworthy. Think about these things. That's a great filter for what sort of entertainment are we watching they watch example they watch a lot they really like a lot of lego and ninjago they, they love watching the lego cartoons on netflix yeah there's nothing wrong no and honestly there's not really poor writing i've seen some really terrible cartoons where they just tear each other down all day and it's like i'm fine with that it's Whatever. fine i was actually referring to that because they really like to watch the youtuber mr beast Yes. And there's nothing... He annoys me. I just don't feel like there's anything admirable or praiseworthy or excellent, other than the fact that he's making piles of money, and then he's got some friend that he's now promoting, and they want to watch this other random dude, and I'm fine with... But watch, but flip the side and look at Mark Rober. I find him admirable, excellent. He's admirable, excellent, praiseworthy... Like, just same genre. Right. Just totally different. And they're buddies. They're yeah. friends. Just totally different style, totally different approach to the show. And and one of them just melts your brain, and the other engages your brain because he's teaching science, and an, he's doing edifying things in a common grace way. Anyway, so thinking about the Philippians thing, where am I? Oh, anyway. The... I'm thinking about that we are so both and this entire world belongs to God and we don't have to try to redeem things, but we do need to look at them through a biblical filter. Here's another example of... Go back for a second. We don't need to redeem things. Well, in, in the sense that we in in the hokey Christian Jesus juking. Oh, right, right. Um, gotcha. Um, I need to find a a, a Jesus juking reason to watch this movie or to explain why I'm watching but spending this movie time or to explain why building a garden or developing property is a way to redeem the earth. Yes. Yes. No, I, I mean, in the Jesus juking sort of Jesus juking way, you know, explaining to our mm-hmm. kids why having a Christmas tree is okay. 
I don't care why having a Christmas. I'm not going to come up with some reason why it's okay. We go into the forest. We cut down a tree. We decorate it. It's fun. It's pretty. It the the lights. I absolutely love white Christmas lights. Jim Gaffigan. Christmas sounds like the holiday of a drunk man. I know. Take the lights. Put them outside. Take the trees. Bring them inside. <laughs> exactly. You know. I I just I'm I I appreciate people who put biblical thought into these things, I am not one of them. And if my kids start struggling with, isn't this a pagan holiday? I suppose we have to go there. But in the meanwhile, we're going to do things because it's fun. And I think the reason that the Charlie's piece and this other guy's piece resonated with me is because I don't want to have to overthink things. I don't want to have to try to really Jesus juke every little, the Christmas lights and the wreaths and the candles and the presents. And we're just going to do it because it's fun. We'll we'll pick up this conversation. We'll we'll continue this conversation when Easter hits. Right. Speaking of Jim Gaffigan. Easter eggs and chocolate. and How do do we celebrate Jesus? Um, How about eggs? I know. And a rabbit. Right. Exactly. (laughs) How the heck? And... And I don't know. I don't even have a problem with talking about Santa. We're again. This is one of those things that I've seen all of these very spiritual articles going around recently about celebrating Santa. You know, do you do Santa in your home? And we don't do Santa because blah blah blah. You know why I don't do Santa? Because I paid for those presents. (laughs) Some random mythical dude did not pay for those presents. So if you're going to say thank you and appreciate the sacrifice it put into, it wasn't some mythical elf in the North Pole who sacrificed to buy you that present. It was us. Speaking of elves and stepping in things, um, the fact that we both hate elf on a shelf, it's just a giant waste of time. However... um, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pro- give props to my sister-in-law because we got. She sent a text uh, last week and said, instead of an elf, here's Mary and Joseph, and they're going to be going from on journey throughout the house, <laughs> journey throughout the house to Bethlehem, and as they go, they collect. She's going to be adding characters to the whole thing, and I was like, now that's that's fun. It is fun. It's it doesn't seem. It didn't seem Jesus jukey because no. I don't think she was like thinking Jesus jukeyed it. No, but so I just have to say that's a great idea. I think it that's is, a wonderful little idea. It is a fun idea. It sure is a lot more worthwhile than sticking and hiding an elf on every single shelf. Oh, it sounds exhausting. Oh, we've got friends messes. that are stressing over it. They finally bought another one, and like they're making a big deal out of it, and it's like nobody cares. Well, the kids do because you I'm not make even it, on Facebook. You make it a big deal for your friend. For yeah. Your so kids. why are you posting everything on Facebook? It's like stop. Nobody cares what no, you're doing no, with your not stupid your little elf friends. You're the ki- like you make it a a big deal for your kids, yeah. kind of like the kids who are devastated when they find out Santa doesn't exist. Our kids don't experience that. Our kids might ruin it for somebody else. Our kids ruin it for somebody else all the time. No, they don't. They understand. That there now are people... they do. Earlier, like, Santa doesn't exist. No. What? <laughs> um, okay, so... Ruined. I'm going to wrap up... You can't hang out with the Friesens anymore. With... Uh, people come up with those ideas for... Because <laughs> we're weird and hard. It doesn't have anything to do with Santa. <laughs> um, so... So... When our kids are melting down, say, on the way home from church, what's one of the first things we check with them on? Food. Yeah. Have you eaten lately? You That's part are... of my sample is ski patrol. It's one of the main questions you always ask. Yeah. What was the last thing you had to eat or drink? Well, that's a, that's more for an allergy, right? Not no, for, do you every, have low blood sugar? Absolutely everything. So we are inextricably psychosomatic beings. You cannot separate the physical from the spiritual, which is why we cannot be Gnostics, because we get hangry. Hangry is not a Gnostic category because your your gnosis, your spiritual well-being is impacted very directly by how much sleep you get, by how much you eat, by how healthy you eat. And we can go on and on and on into your gut balance impacts your you know depression and your mental health and exercise and all these things. But at very root, you know that you are a inextricably intertwined psychosomatic being because you get hangry and because you get cranky when you don't have enough sleep. Same thing with your kids. 
So those are your two at root ways of fighting Gnosticism. I'm going to, I should create one of those fancy little radio sweepers for the show. Too busy to flush. Hangry is not Gnost is not a Gnostic category. www.tobusyflush.com. But but really, I mean, so it, that could be a T-shirt. Yeah, you feel like what the heck does that mean? But it's true, it's true, and it's a great way to to start explaining how inextricably the world is both spiritual and material at the same time. And it's not over-spiritualizing things on the one hand to say that everything we do at Christmas has a spiritual element. Everything we do at Easter has a spiritual element. Everything we do every day all the time has a spiritual element because you cannot split them apart just like you cannot split the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. And just like you can't split the persons of the Trinity, you cannot split the spiritual and the physical in any of life because it's it's not a divisible category. And you know that because if you are hangry, it is both a spiritual and a physical problem at the same time that cannot be parsed out. So... <laughs> no, I <laughs> Okay, so I am going to I'm debating. I'm gonna leave this up to you, JR. I have food things to talk about, and I have mm. Robert Ferrar Capon passages to read. Which one should I do first? And which one should I end on? We, sorry. We dear. Which one should we do first and which one should we end on? Let's put it to a vote to our listeners. There's nobody out there. <laughs> we got lots of listeners. No, right now. Like, literally right now. Okay. I'm going to talk about food first, and then I'm going to go back to Robert for our cape on. Okay, so... Uh, I'm making white chili for dinner. I have a go-to white chili recipe that I love. It came from a book called Colorado Cash. It was published by some group in Colorado that started it as a fundraiser. And my mom made it for most of my growing up. The thing that makes it unique is it has a pinch of cloves in it. It's got the green chilies, it's got the white beans, it's got the chicken, it's got the cumin and the oregano. But it has a pinch of cloves in it that I think adds a je ne sais quoi, smoky, uh, savory flavor that nobody can place until you say it's cloves. And they're like, oh, that's unexpected. Also, cloves... Are the no? It's nutmeg and creamed spinach that adds that well, that flavor. Cigarettes but are super delicious. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a spiritual thing that I don't approve of. Smoking plants. But it's been around since the dawn of But time. I have a question <laughs> for people out there, which is, what's your favorite white chili recipe? Because I know that people have the one you make. No, I'm not asking you. I'm asking other people, because. Most people out there have a favorite white chili recipe that they love, and I actually love tons of them. And if we were all in the same place, we could do a white chili tasting party where everyone brought their favorite white chili and we could all sample them out of Dixie cups. But we're not all in the same place, so we can't do that. But I'm curious if people have an absolute must-have white chili recipe. Send it to us, and maybe we can compile it and share them in some format. Anyway, I also have a recipe that I'm planning to make next week that'll be a good kind of light leading up to Christmas soup. That is a butternut squash chicken stew recipe that also has some tomatoes and Kalamata olives in it, which my kids hate, but I love the addition of it because it adds an interest, really interesting, savory flavor, vinegary flavor, even to the to the broth that I really like. So I'm going to have you post that recipe in case anyone wants to use leftover turkey and turkey broth after Christmas for it. Are you sure it's not on which recipe? The butternut squash chicken oh, soup recipe. Because I think the white chili recipe is already on our website it, under it, soups. It probably is. I, prob- I actually have at least two because I have one for Mel's Kitchen Cafe up there too. That's the one that gives you such bad gas. <laughs> the Mel's Kitchen Cafe one. 
Um, it's super good, but it has both cream. Mel gives me gas. I can't remember if it's sour cream or That's cream joke. cheese in it, in addition to cream. And it's delicious. Does one of our listeners know Mel? I don't know. I feel like somebody we somebody we know knows. Like, Mel goes to my church. Blah blah no, blah. No, no, no. She's Mormon. She oh. she went to Skyview High School. That's in Billings. It. That's the. And then she <clears throat> lived in Wisconsin for a while, and now she lives in Idaho. That's the that's the, the connection. connection. Yeah. Uh, also, you guys, if you're doing any Christmas parties in the next week, like we are, uh, here's an idea that I'm going to do. We're doing a Christmas party. We have a small group Christmas party tomorrow night. If we're not sick. Right. Exactly. So was, we're not doing a Christmas party per se. No. Okay. We're, we're going to a small group Christmas party. As you can tell, folks, we really talk about our, our plans. Our lives in general. Uh, hey, honey, I got a job. Really? Halved <laughs> Brussels sprouts on a skewer, and then you roast them on the skewer, and then you can drizzle all sorts of things, whatever you want. I'm going to do some feta cheese and a balsamic over the top of them but then instead of being there putting them on a skewer makes them very aesthetically pleasing but it also turns it into finger food so you don't have to have a plate and a fork or be picking them up with your fingers but anyway halved brussels sprouts on a skewer and then if you're looking for gift giving things i've been trying to contemplate what to give our kids as sunday school teachers and judo instructors because I like to do something but we have a lot of kids which means they have a lot of teachers which means I can't do really expensive gifts but we have a roasted pecan recipe that I just love it came from Bon Appetit years ago and we've done it almost every year since then so we need to package them in people are weird and hard mugs we did that last year actually that's a good and idea. some homemade granola from a Mel's Kitchen Cafe. Yeah, we should do that again. Recipe. Um, I don't know that our judo instructors want people are weird and hard mugs. And we also probably don't have time it's, to order. Them. It's just Dave and Eve. They're churchgoers. They like mm-hmm. that stuff. So, anyway, I sent you a link already to it. Yes, from Bon Appetit. Buttery cayenne pecans, but I don't add the cayenne I, because... Can you send that to me? Yeah, I send it to you on text. <clears throat> it has Worcestershire, salt, garlic pepper, garlic powder, mustard powder. Worcestershire sauce. Hot sauce, which I think I've used Tabasco, and lots of butter. And then you cook them in a... saute them in a pan and then roast them. And you can also, if you have a trigger, you could also roast them on the trigger for some extra smoky flavor. Now that I think about it, I think I substitute smoked paprika for the for the tiny bit of cayenne in the recipe. So anyway, if you guys want to do a fun gift for, you know, a little baggie of pecans for someone, you can also do it with almonds. But the fun thing about pecans is all of the the butter gets all the spices kind of in a nice little moist clump and it works into the cracks of the pecan and so they're very very strongly flavored in fact i would cut back on the salt in the recipe if you use salted butter to make them as a heads up sugared butter no no no, these are not sweet which is also great because if people are trying to avoid if people (laughs) you like sweet except me i'm not sweet if you're trying salty like your dad yeah which is yep A little bit vinegary. <laughs> if if people are trying to avoid sugar... But like her pecans, super enjoyable. Buttery. If... Lots of fat. Uh, if people... <laughs> no. If... You can be a little crunchy. If people... <laughs> do you mean personality-wise or in not showering? Yes. <laughs> if, if people are trying to avoid sugar around the holidays, they appreciate the gift of the of nuts that are not sugary because it's a treat that they can enjoy without feeling like they're eating unhealthy another one that is delicious is trader joe's does a rosemary almond they do marcona almonds but you can look up uh copycat rosemary trader joe's almonds and find pretty good copycat i'm kind of still burned out on the last batch we made because i burned them 
No. This is really strong. Like I can taste oh. them right now. Oh. It's because I added too much salt. For, and they're better with fresh rosemary. But we live in Millings and it's winter, so there's not a lot of fresh rosemary to be had. Okay. Robert for our Capon's superpower is butter. Or not superpower, his secret weapon. Is that what it was? Also his weakness. In the introduction to his... The republishing of this book. He talks about butter. And he talks about how food has been devalued in our... Recent. This was first published, I think, in the 1950s. Now I have to look it up because I haven't cracked this book open for a couple of months. Copyright 1967. So this is at the height of margarine and things like that. If this book has any claim to make, therefore, it is that food is precisely an epiphany of the greatness of our nature. Or to use the most accurate theological word of all, it is a sacrament a real presence of the gorgeous mystery of our being. People have responded to the Supper of the Lamb, I think, because after all the modern reductionism about food, food is only a necessity, food is nothing but nourishment, it gave them solid reasons for glorying in the truth they had suspected all along, namely that food was life and that life was good. Admittedly, that is a hard insight to keep track of. Food these days is often identified as the enemy, Butter, salt, sugar, eggs are all out to get you. And yet, at our best, we know better. Butter is, well, butter. It glorifies almost everything it touches. Salt is the sovereign perfecter of all flavors. Eggs are, pure and simple, one of the wonders of the world. And if you put them all together, you get not sudden death, but hollandaise, which in its own way is not one bit less a marvel than the gothic arch, the computer chip, or a Bach fugue. Food, like all other triumphs of human nature, is evidence of civilization, of that priestly gift by which we lift the whole world into the exchanges of the ultimate city, which even God himself longs to see it become. So, then he later says, it is precisely because we loved this old Jerusalem of the world enough to bear it in our bones that its textures will ascend when we rise. It will be because our eyes have relished the earth that the colors of its countries will compel our hearts forever. The bread and pastry, the cheeses and wines, the songs go into the Supper of the Lamb because we do. It is our love that brings the city home. So, as you guys... I guess we'll record one more of these probably before Christmas. But this is a blessing that he gives at the end of the book. And I present it to you all as you think about all of the parties and food and trappings of the Christmas season that you don't have to over-spiritualize them because they are inherently spiritual and good because we are not Gnostics, essentially. So, from this point on, a well-made dinner party is on its own, with only minor nudging from time to time to prevent it running aground in the shoal waters of disagreement or bad taste, it should come with flags flying and bands playing to a happy birth. I wish you well. May your table be graced with lovely women and good men. May you drink well enough to drown the envy of youth in the satisfactions of maturity. May your men wear their weight with pride, secure in the knowledge that they have at last become considerable. May they rejoice that they will never again be taken for callow, black-haired boys. And your women? Ah, women are like cheese strudels. When first baked, they are crisp and fresh on the outside, but the filling is unsettled and indigestible. In age, the crust may not be so lovely, but the filling comes at last into its own. May you relish them indeed. May we all sit long enough for reserve to give way to ribaldry and for gallantry to grow upon us. May there be singing at our table before the night is done and old broad jokes to fling at the stars and tell them we are men. I want to rewrite that <clears throat> women and men piece into a into a toast like I'd be giving it, then memorize it and say <laughs> it at every party. Uh, yeah, he he has a couple of pauses for toasts in here, which is it, it's fantastic. Here's another toast just because I can and then I'm done. If I had only one single temporal blessing to wish you, I would not hesitate a moment. 
Maybe you'll be spared long enough to know at least one long evening of old friends, dark bread, good wine, and strong cheese. If even exile be so full, what must our fullness be? And I have these at a fingertip because this book is underlined. It's underlined. There's a gazillion sticky notes. notes. And I could literally, now that I'm started, just keep reading over and over, but I won't because we're out of time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, although we don't really have time. And just a quick heads up, the week after Christmas, there will not be a podcast episode. Um, For one, I'm patrolling all week. And two, just take a holiday break, I guess. Um, So, uh, for all the links of things we've mentioned in the show, they are in the show notes. Uh, Scroll down in your favorite podcast player, click show more or whatever it says, and you'll be able to click some links there. And uh, you can reach us on Telegram. The link is also in the show notes. And you can email us at tb2f at pm.me. Or you can send us a message via the uh, bulletin board postcard feature on our website, www.toobusytoflush.com. And here's what I'm going to do right now. I said at the outset that I'm going to finish the show and make those stickers. I'm going to make those stickers and put those stickers online, untested. Normally you can have them send you a sample copy, unsampled, put them online for everybody to buy and uh, before I even get the show up. So the link to the Swag Shack is also in the show notes. That said, I don't have any other closing information. We thank you sincerely for listening to us. We thank you for reviewing us on iTunes. We thank you for sharing us with your friends. The greatest compliment and greatest gift you can possibly give us. There you go. Besides talking about Jesus. (laughs) Okay. Um, Cool. Well, with that said, all that, you guys have a great weekend. Have a great rest of the week. And... You know, remember, people are weird and hard and... Love them anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Even though that's hard, too. 